Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Jason, for all of that. Uh, thank you, Amy, for your testimony. Thank you, Lori, for uh, reading God's Word. I was immediately emotional as Lori read Psalm 84, speaking about how good it is to go into the house of the Lord. I miss you all uh, more than I can say. Uh, last Saturday was good for my soul because Jason and I got around to so many of you and, and we gave you a gift and that was, that was incredible to see your faces uh, very briefly, but I'm not sure it served me this week because it just made me miss you all the more. Uh, and so it was a painful week for me uh, as I mourn uh, not being able to meet together in an ongoing way. Uh, we miss you and uh, as Jason's already said, we continue to pray for you all uh, by name, and we are counting down the days till we are able to meet together. Church, these are difficult days. These are our lonely days for many. Uh, but as Jason said, God is with us, and His mercy and His grace are great to His people. And so, uh, let us continue to remind ourselves together as a church family of who He is, uh, of what He's done for us in the past, and what He is continuing to do for us now. Uh, and there is no better way for us to remind ourselves of these things than to look into His Word together. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. The letter of 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to remind ourselves of our gracious God. Let's begin by reading 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19 together. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Church, sometimes something can be good for us while having very uncomfortable and difficult side effects, right? If, if you've ever listened or watched a commercial about some new medication, you know that this is true. Uh, the commercial promises that the medicine can have a really good effect on your life and upon your health. Many of the commercials have people frolicking through a field somewhere, but then right at the end of the commercial... In a really fast voice, they tell you all of the side effects that it can have on you. It says something like this, Do not take this medication if you have a pre-existing condition. 
And at times, this medication can cause dizziness and vomiting and headaches and seizures. And it might cause a toothache and it might cause your right arm to fall off. And at times, it might even cause death. And we're like, what? Did they just slip death in there as a potential side effect to the medicine, even as people are frolicking through the field? And we always laugh when we hear those side effects because the dangers of the medicine seem almost greater than the benefit of the medicine. We're tempted to ask the question, who in their right minds would take that prescription? Is it really worth it? Well, friends, as we come to yet another passage in 1 Peter that is about suffering, yet another passage in 1 Peter that has to do with trials, some of us might be tempted to ask the same question about Peter that we ask about those commercials. Is it really worth it? Peter's given us some great medicine. He's given us incredible hope through this letter. He's promised us wonderful things But a constant theme has been the side effect of suffering and pain as Christians. In fact, we've seen the presence of and the promise of suffering in the Christian's life from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the letter. Even in this passage this morning, we see suffering referenced in some way in verse 12, 13, 14, 15, and 19. And we can be tempted to say, why, Peter? Why are you speaking of all of these negative side effects to being a Christian? You're, you're tempting us, Peter. You're, you're tempting us to think that it may not be worth it after all. But church, Peter reminds us today that though the side effects of faith in Christ can be difficult, though we suffer in this life, the promise of life and health remains. And in fact, Peter says that the pain that we do experience is actually a part of the good plan that God has for us. See, a lot of commercials tell you to stop taking the medicine if you feel those side effects. But that's not what Peter does. No, Peter says that these side effects are actually proof that the medicine of our faith in Christ is working. And therefore, Peter says, Christian, keep going. Don't stop. God has good for us in our suffering. Friends, here's here's the main idea of the text this morning. It is simply this. Christians are able to have joy in their suffering because it enables them to rejoice for eternity. Christians are able to have joy in their suffering because it enables them to rejoice for eternity. And listen, even as I say that, I know how hard it is to believe. I know how hard Peter's words are to believe and to apply and to value in our lives. Because I know on the other side of this camera, I know the suffering. I know the trials that are being experienced. In the, in the midst of our suffering, it's so easy to wonder, why are we suffering? Why does life hurt so much? Why are things so difficult? Why do we have pain? But friends, God has tremendous comfort for us today in this text. And I want us to carefully consider all that he has for us here. Here's the question for us to consider this morning. When can we have joy in our suffering? When can we have joy in the midst of our suffering? And this passage offers four answers to that question. Point number one, you can have joy in your suffering when you know that you are loved by God. That's in verse 12. 
You can have joy in your suffering when you see God's purposes in your suffering. That's found in verse 13. You can have joy in your suffering when you suffer for the right reasons. That's in verses 14 to 16. And then finally, you can have joy in your suffering when your eyes are fixed on eternity. That's verses 17 to 19. Okay, let's begin to walk through these and let's start with point number one. Point number one, you can have joy in your suffering when you know that you are loved. Look at how this passage begins with the word beloved. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Some versions say, dear friends, but the, but the word is agapitas, and it, it means beloved. It's a term of affection, and it speaks of belonging to God and belonging to his family. And this, this is so key for what Peter is telling us in this passage. He's, he's speaking to us yet again about suffering, and he's done this repeatedly. When, when Peter says in verse 12 that we shouldn't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon us, that, that, that fiery trial is not an individual or specific event that might happen at some point. No, this is a way for Peter to reference all of the suffering that he has spoken of throughout his letter up until this point. Now, this passage is primarily about the suffering that comes from persecution for our faith, but I don't think that it needs to be exclusively limited to that. I think it can include all forms of suffering, particularly because there are a lot of similarities between this passage in chapter 4 and chapter 1, when Peter talks about how we are being refined by fire through various trials. So I don't, I don't think the truth of this passage needs to only apply to suffering from persecution. I think it has application in all areas of life. And so he is speaking to us yet again about suffering. And therefore, Peter wants to remind us yet again about who we are. Christian, Peter wants to sharpen your identity this morning as a Christian in the midst of your suffering. Peter knows that he's writing to us as elect exiles, to people who are lonely and who are hurting. And he knows how easy it is for us to fall into a pit of self-pity and to feel like our suffering and our trials and the difficulties of life are the greatest reality of our lives. And so he reminds us of of a far greater reality than our suffering, the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. Christian, You are the beloved of God. You are loved by Him. Down in verse 14, Peter says that the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you this morning. His Spirit is with you. You are secure in Him. In verse 16, Peter further strengthens our identity by using the title of Christian. And he says, let us glorify God in that name. See, he's reminding us of our identity because, listen, the strength of your identity in Christ will determine the level of joy that you can have in suffering. The the strength of your identity in Christ will determine the level of joy that you can have in difficult times. Now, the world around you, and even your own heart, and the pride within your own heart, they're, they're going to want you to try to find your identity in so many other things in life than in Christ, right? Doesn't doesn't this world have a tendency to make us want to focus on 
on what we don't have or who we are, are not able to be rather than focusing on what we do have and who we know that we are. And we can all do that. We can spend our days bemoaning what we lack rather than celebrating what we have. We, we look around and we say, well, I'm not as athletic as those other people. I'm not as popular as that other group of kids. As we grow older in life, we, we feel like we are no longer wanted or needed. I'm no longer loved by others. I'm no longer respected. I'm no longer rich. I'm no longer a parent. My business is no longer successful. I'm no longer popular with my friends. I'm no longer the top of my class. I'm no longer the one in charge. I'm no longer pregnant. I no longer have a career. I no longer have close friends. I no longer have a healthy marriage. My ministry no longer looks the way I wanted it to look. Suffering and difficulties of all kinds can tempt us to make these disappointments, these, these losses, our greatest identity. We can live there. But Peter reminds us that our greater identity is as those that are loved by God and who are a part of his chosen people. Christian, did you know this morning that the God of this universe is happy with you today? He's happy with you. He's pleased with you this morning because you are secure in his grace. And it doesn't matter how well you performed this past week for the Lord. If your faith is in Christ, you are a member of his family through faith in his son. And you are greatly loved by him. We, we, we tend so much to make our trials our greatest identity, but scripture God's word reminds us that God's grace and his favor and belonging to his family, these things are the greatest realities in our life. Christian, listen, rest in this this morning. Sit in this and, and remain in this. Let your soul find joy in this. You know what a wise way to spend some of your quarantine time might be in the days to come? If you have time this week or in the coming weeks, Open your Bibles and do a biblical study of all the different titles and all the different words that God uses to describe you as one of his people. That will strengthen your heart and soul. That will encourage you during this time. Christian, you are forgiven of your sins. That's what God says of you. He tells you that you are washed and clean. He says that you are a chosen people, sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart for a specific purpose. You are saints of God. He says that you are the beloved. Zephaniah says that God rejoices over you with singing this morning. You are his family, adopted into his family, children of God, sons and daughters of the king. He says that you are his church, which is described as the bride of Christ. He's in love with you. You are married to Christ. You have God's favor and security. You, you feel like a small remnant, a, a, a weak and frail person, but you belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Church, you are royalty this morning through the gospel. You are a spiritual house. You are a holy temple, a dwelling place for God himself by the Spirit. You are fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. Ephesians says you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You are members of his body. 
That is what Peter wants you to know and to believe as we talk about suffering and pain yet again this morning. You are the beloved of God. Your identity in Him is far greater than your identity in your trials. Christian, rest in that this morning. Rest in that through this quarantine. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, you can have joy in your suffering when you see God's plan for your suffering. Look at verse 13 now. There's an intentional contrast being made by Peter between verse 12 and verse 13. He says in verse 12, don't be surprised by trials. But then rather in verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings in order that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter's saying that we can rejoice, church. We can have joy in our pain when we see that our pain is part of God's plan. Just as Christ and his suffering led to his victory and his glory over sin and death and over all demonic powers in this world, as we saw up in chapter 3, so our suffering will also lead to glory as well. And this is very consistent with Peter's purposes throughout his letter. If you remember in chapter 1, Peter said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter speaks of, of the presence of trials, but then he speaks of the purpose of our trials. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that we rejoice today even in our suffering, because God is graciously active in our suffering. He has a plan for our pain. And church, here is how active he is in the midst of our suffering. Peter actually says in verse 17 that it is time for the judgment of God to begin with us. <laughs> we say, wait, what? God is going to judge us? How is that comforting news, Peter? I thought we were forgiven in Christ. I thought we were safe from God's judgment as Christians. What does it mean that God's going to judge us? I don't think many of us are comfortable with that verse. But here's what this means. Christian, you are going to be judged. Did you know that? Every human being, every man and woman, young and old, will one day stand before the judgment seat of God. And just like Peter says in verse 17, the judgment of God will actually start with those within the church. In Matthew 25, when, when Jesus is talking about the final judgment day, he says that he will separate the sheep, Christians, from the goats, non-Christians. But then he says judgment will begin with those sheep. We will be judged. But friends, this judgment of God towards Christians will not be punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. This judgment of God is not wrath against sin, but it is a proving, a testing of our faith. As Christians on that day, we will be evaluated. 
Our faith will be judged as sincere or insincere. And because of the gracious activity of God in our lives, church, our faith is going to shine on that day. It will be proven true. That's actually what Peter means when he says that it's time right now for the judgment of God to begin with the household of God. Right now, God is, in a sense, judging his church. Right now, he is proving the sincerity of our faith through our difficult circumstances. Right now, he is refining our faith in him in order to shine brightly on that day. Right now, through suffering, he is preparing us to have a resume of faithfulness when we stand before him on that final day. You know, when you try to get a new job, you want to bring your resume together in, in order to demonstrate that you're qualified for that position. You want to show that you've walked through enough of life that makes you a good candidate for that job. Well, that's what our suffering is enabling us to do on the final day. On that day, God the Father will say, why, why should I let you into my kingdom? And do you know what we're going to say? We will say, because we have had faith in you, Jesus, and... Because you have proven our faith sincere. Jesus, you have caused our faith to shine by helping us to endure through many dangers, toils, and snares. It's been you, Christ. Your grace has been active in our lives. And in that moment, Matthew 25 says that Jesus will look at his sheep and he will say, Come, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're going to be welcomed in. Why? Because there was evidence for the sincerity of our faith. How? By how we endured through trials. By how we clung to Jesus through pain. By how we did not give up when hardship came. By how we lived by faith and not by sight. Christian, God will look at you on that final day and he will commend you. He's going to praise you. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to say, I know it was a stormy go of it. I know that there were mountains to climb and there were valleys to walk through. But I was with you the whole time. And the fact that you endured is a demonstration of my saving grace in your life. See, church, when we go through suffering, we think something's wrong in life. Something needs to be fixed. Something's out of order. Something needs to change. But in God's sovereignty, our suffering is actually a part of his plan. Because it's now being used for his glory. It's proving the strength of his grace in our lives. You know, over the last couple of weeks, the, the street in front of our house has been repa repaved with, with asphalt uh, or macadam. I don't know what that is. Bob Sokash told me that that's what it's called. It's the type of street that they put down. I didn't even know that that was a word. Uh, but we enjoyed watching the process. We enjoyed watching all of the machines come in, all of the dump trucks, the, the, the pavement was laid down. But then then there was this one machine, and I think you're familiar with it. It's, it's the one with the really big iron wheels, right? And they, 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 they roll along the street, and, and they're so heavy, and they vibrate so hard. When they pass by the house, the whole house shakes. It feels like it's doing damage all around us. But then what you see as you watch is that it's all very intentional. In order for the street to endure, 
in order for the street not to crumble a year from now, in order for it to pass the test of time, it needs to be compacted very tightly. It needs to be pressed down under that heavy burden. Christian, that is what God is doing in your life right now. Your trials, your suffering, it feels heavy. It even feels violent. It feels like everything is, is shaking and you, and you might even fall apart under it all. But it's very intentional. God is at work in you. You may not see exactly what he's doing, but the work God is doing, it will stand the test of time. And you will be given life. And so are you struggling? Are you struggling with sin this morning again? Are you feeling defeated and discouraged? Are you very aware of your weakness today? Are you battling depression and, and darkness? Are you being persecuted? Are coworkers attacking you? Are, are unbelieving family members belittling you? Do people not understand you? Are you in a season of, of darkness? Friend, God is proving himself faithful to you right now. And here's the best part. He's not proving your strength because you don't have the strength. He's proving his strength and his grace in your life. If you remember, chapter 1 reminds us that we are only alive because of his saving grace by the power of his spirit. We only have faith because of the work that he has done in us. And so listen, when we stand before him on that final day, he's not going to ask the question, was Joel strong enough? Was Kimberly strong enough? Was Ashley strong enough? Was Debbie strong enough? Was Rodrigo strong enough? Was Mike strong enough? That's not the question. No, he's going to say, was my grace strong enough in their lives? And you know what the answer is going to be? A resounding yes. It was strong enough. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that because of his power, because of his goodness, we will become partakers of the divine nature. We will enter into glory. And so if you feel weak, take comfort this morning. He is strong. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. We can have joy in our suffering when we see God's plan for our suffering. That brings us to point number three. You can have joy in your suffering when you suffer for the right reasons. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter's making the very clear point that we can rejoice in our suffering when we suffer as Christians. And his primary purpose here is to talk about suffering that comes from persecution. When, when we are reviled and insulted and hated because of our faith in Christ. Those things, those moments are a sign that we are blessed because they truly reveal God's grace at work in our lives. That's suffering that God is at work in. But listen, if I, if I go around poking people in the eye this week and suddenly I get beat up for doing it, 
I can't say, well, okay, this is suffering. God's at work in it. God has a plan for this. I mean, to some degree I can because he's, he's sovereign. But mostly I'm just an idiot and I should stop poking people in the eye. If you murder someone, Peter says, or if you steal, you're going to suffer the consequences. But that's not the suffering that God is speaking of. Interestingly, verse 15 includes the word meddler. Okay, that, that, that word is intentionally different than being a murderer or a thief. Peter knows that most Christians aren't going to go around killing each other or stealing from each other. So he includes this word meddler because it likely applies to more of us. It's more broad. It, the word meddler speaks of, of being a busybody. Uh, some scholars say it just speaks of being annoying, of, of doing evangelism poorly, be, being harsh towards those around us, belittling towards those around us. Peter's point is that the suffering that God is using most in our lives to, to prove his grace in us is not the suffering that we bring on ourselves through our own foolishness in this world, but the suffering that comes about from truly seeking to live obedient lives before him. I love verse 19 when it says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While doing good, that, that speaks of suffering for the right reasons. Those words, while doing good, they're very intentional from Peter. Peter's concluding what has been the most significant section of his letter and which has prioritized the idea of good conduct, living good lives in a secular society. In fact, this passage is, is the concluding bracket to, to the section which began up in chapter so if you have your Bibles, turn over to chapter 2, verse 11 with me. And you will see there where Peter starts this section, and he starts with the word beloved, just like he does here in chapter 4. This is the only two places he uses that word. And then in verse 12, he, he speaks about our good conduct, doing good as Christians. So, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12 is the introduction to this practical section. And then 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, today's text, is the conclusion. They serve as a bracket or as, as a sandwich here. And church, when we see that, we gain a better understanding of the good deeds that Peter is speaking of here. We can have joy in our suffering when we are seeking to live for the glory of God in all these areas of life, in a secular society. When we seek to bring God glory as, as faithful citizens, as diligent employees, as loving spouses, as healthy members of our church community, as those who are evangelizing the world and, and sharing the reason for the hope that is in us, as, as we live as those who are putting sin to death in our lives and, and refusing to sleep with others outside of marriage and refusing to get drunk as we once did, which we saw in chapter 4, as we are those who are hospitable, as we are longing for the final day. We've seen all of these things in this section of First Peter. And so the, the hope and joy that we're speaking of here is only available to those who've been made alive by God's grace and who now have new ambition to live for his glory, who are the beloved of God and who are seeking to live for his good pleasure. And so church, if you're finding it hard to live as a Christian in a secular culture, if, if you're being made fun of, if your family belittles you, if your spouse disagrees with you, if your employer takes advantage of you, you can know that you are blessed. 
Because what they are resisting is not you, but the grace of God that is at work in you. And that, that reviling, that insulting is actually part of the testing that God is doing, which will result in him saying to you on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. And so church, let us not stop doing good. Let us live obedient lives for the glory of God, even when difficulty comes upon us. Let us not live for our flesh any longer, but let us live for God and for eternity. And that brings us to our fourth and to our final point. The fourth way that you can have joy in your suffering is when your eyes are fixed on eternity. Friends, like a, like a new medicine that's being sold on a commercial, Peter has told us that there will be significant side effects to our faith in Christ. He's been honest with us about this. He hasn't sped by it very quickly as they do in the commercials. No, there will be sorrows. There will be pain. There will even be death. He's not hiding these things. But unlike the commercials that tell you to stop taking the medicine if you have those side effects, Peter tells us, to keep going. He tells us to keep going because these side effects of pain and sorrow are a part of God's plan and they will not last forever. Even as we approach the end of this letter of 1 Peter, we must remember how much Peter has kept our eyes set on eternity. This is not a small theme in this text or throughout this letter. No, he has written to elect exiles in this earth and he has consistently pointed us forward to a future reality that is greater than this earth. Remember with me, he has, he has spoken to us about our inheritance that is imperishable. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. He has spoken to us about the coming revelation of, of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. He has spoken of us of how we are born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. He has spoken to us about how all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, setting our eyes on eternity. He's exhorted wives to have the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And he has exhorted husbands to view their wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life. That's eternity in view. He has exhorted us to remember and to live according to the fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, that the end of all things is at hand. And here in our passage this morning, he speaks of when the glory of Christ will be revealed. And that judgment day comes. Do you see what Peter's doing for us? In a book that has said a whole lot about suffering in this world, he has sought consistently to keep our eyes off of this world and on heaven. He doesn't hide the fact that there are side effects to our faith in Christ, but he tells us to keep going by focusing our thoughts on what will come. The certainty of heaven, the hope of glory, the promise of peace, the power of resurrection glory. That's how we can find joy in our suffering today. We have joy in suffering when we remember that our suffering will last just but a moment. But joy and peace and praise will last for eternity. Church, when his glory is revealed 
on that final day, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. King Jesus will wipe away every tear. Sorrow will be no more. And so Christian, entrust your soul to God this morning. He's the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. And he will keep you until the final day. He will not let you go. Entrust your soul to him. Praise him. Rejoice in him. That's actually a command of this text. Rejoice in him while you endure sorrow. Oh, church, how much I want to go back into worship right now with all of you. How much I want to stand and sing because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in our government or our political leaders. Our hope is in the God who reigns and who will one day bring this fallen world to an end and give us the fullness of heaven. I long to sing. I long to sing that through many dangers, toils, and snares we've already come. Tis grace that has brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. I long to sing with you that while sea billows roll, it is well with our souls. I long to sing with you that though there have been scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, carried by your constant grace, held within your perfect peace. I can't wait for the day when we can join our voices to sing again. When darkness seems to hide his face, we rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. I can't wait for when the Smiths and Scott can lead us again in singing, I lay it all. When troubles come, when darkness crowds, when fortunes fail and loss surrounds, my soul is weak, but Christ is strong, and so to him I leave it all. For he who holds all things can bear each care I bring, so I lay it all on Jesus. Steadfast is the love of Jesus. He hears my cry. He's faithful. I lay it all on Jesus. Can't wait to sing with all of you. Friends, we can have joy in our suffering because God is using our suffering to cause us to rejoice for eternity. Let's rest in him together.